Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Okay, so today on HashiCast, we're going to talk all things Console Connect, and we've got two very special guests for you. We've got Mitchell Hashimoto, the co-founder and CTO of HashiCorp, and we've got Paul Banks, who's a software engineer on the console team and one of the main contributors to the new Connect Service Mesh feature. So Mitchell created Vagrant while in college back in Seattle. He met Armand, he founded HashiCorp, and the rest is history. So hopefully today we're going to find out a little about that history. So welcome, Mitchell. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Nick. I'm excited to be here. And we also have Paul Banks, who's been with HashiCorp for just over a year now. He's previously worked on the platform team at Compose, which is an IBM company, building their database as a service platform. He was also the principal infrastructure engineer at DebianArt.com. He has over 10 years of experience building applications and infrastructure with open source technology. So welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. All right. So before we dive into Connect, I'm curious. So we had Arman on the show a few episodes ago, and we asked him all things about your, your partnership. Now, he didn't throw any shade, but uh, we're interested. What's your perspective? Can you give us your first impression of Arman? <laughs> My first impression of Arman was actually like, what the heck? Why is this guy so young? Because <laughs> uh, a little known fact about Arman is he went to college two years early. Uh, so when we first met, you know, I was like 19 or something, but he like should have been in, in my eyes in high school and, and it was sort of apparent. So I was like, when we first met, I was like, wait, and he was, he was like in charge of the project I was joining. So I was like, who is this kid that's in charge of this project? But, uh, but no, after that, it was really, it was really apparent and quick that, uh, he's a brilliant guy. And, and from that partnership, some amazing things has come. Did you think when you were sitting hacking on, on Vagrant that you'd go on to form HashiCorp and, and create many of the products? Um, form HashiCorp, like definitely no. I mean, I, I, there was never any plan uh, to start a company or anything. Um, from the product side, I mean, we had a lot of ideas and I hoped, that I was optimistic that we would build them one day. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really think that through early on of how we would make that possible and how you'd build communities and things like that. But uh, a lot of the ideas, not all of them, but a lot of the ideas we ended up building here at HashiCorp, we definitely wanted to build back then too. I think the, the, the process of the ideas is really interesting as well. Cause I, I remember you and um, Armand talking about that process and specifically this is when you went through the, the, the ideas and the process of designing the Sentinel language. But, um, could you, can you kind of talk us through this? What is the, what's the secret sauce? What's the process that HashiCorp goes through as an organization when it's, it's trying to come up with a new product or a new, or develop an idea? Yeah, uh, so it's, I think this is where like Armand and my, I guess, biases or skill sets, I don't know how you'd describe them, like become really beneficial because um, historically, like Armand really likes to think about things from like an architecture first perspective he likes to like think through like you know what 
algorithms where we have to study what air or what areas of CS are is are going to be important here. Like how are we going to structure the system, things like that. And I, you know, care about that. But my first inclination is always to think about like how's how we're going to use it. Like what's it going to feel like? How does what does it look like? Um, stuff like that. And so. I guess I'm more of like a readme-driven development type of individual, um, and Armand is more of a, I don't know, like system design type person. And so whenever we would work on projects together, what we would usually do is go lean on those strengths. So I would go write a bunch of like readmes, I'd create fake you know shell scripts that acted like the thing existed, I would use it, play around with it, make fake configurations um, of what I wanted it to do, and Armand would go back and think like, you know, okay, like Terraform, for example, one of the initial ideas was like, okay, each resource is a finite state machine and we're synchronizing finite state machines across like, you know, maybe multiple machines and looking at like what that, what that would require and things like that. And the benefit is like, surprisingly, we end up meeting in the middle usually. Um, and, and I think we make better products because of it. Like we make products that do technically work quite well, but do, uh, feel good at the same time. Um, so that's, that's sort of the process and that's the process also we've been trying to to figure out i guess like how to how to continue mirroring that as we grow the engineering org at the company the process seems to be working pretty well i mean i've been a terraform user for for many years and other than the sort of the proposed 0.12 changes hcl hasn't changed a great deal if if at all yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it has it has its issues, and that's why we're doing zero dot twelve. I mean, it had some major issues, and we're we're working on them. But I mean, all things considered, for how I don't know how how quickly that came together, uh, it's been surprising. And and you know, we 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 expected, I guess, a lot more negativity when we released Terraform. Uh, we thought we would get a lot more backlash, but I mean, it, it's been like four years now, I think. And we've done a lot of user sort of study of, you know, new users and customers and really advanced users. And across our products, like Terraform consistently with HCL, like is is the one people enjoy the most, like over JSON with Packer or Ruby with Vagrant. Um, there's pros and cons for sure. Like I'm not saying it's a silver bullet that solves all these problems, but it's the one that's been the most successful in terms of user happiness and productivity. So I think I think we hit something really good and that's why we've also been expanding HCL to all our other tools as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think for me, what's been interesting is looking at like the, uh, 12, the 12, oh, 12 release that's coming up and seeing how the team's going about uh, previewing features. Like we can't just like basically drop an 012 release. We have to tease a certain features and get, get the community ready. So what we've never done this in the past, Mitchell. So why have we taken this approach with O12? Yeah, um, uh, the big thing was like we. There's a few reasons. Like we wanted to like prepare users for what was coming um, because there are some breaking changes. So we wanted users to know months in advance like what those breaking changes would be. Uh, we wanted to solicit feedback of what people thought early on that we could fix it. Um, but also like we were afraid that if we released dot twelve and just dumped all these features you wouldn't see how much is actually there. And and honestly, like I thought that the breaking changes would would just stand out above everything else. And you wouldn't realize that, okay, we introduced like a handful, like literally like three or four breaking changes. But for those three or four breaking changes, you're getting 
over a dozen like major new language features. So it, it, the trade-off I think is one that any Terraform user would take and the breaking changes aren't even that bad. They're not like rewrite your whole config, they're little things. Um, so I, I think that's a trade-off anyone would make, but I think that if we release it all at once, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be obvious. Um, and, and releasing them one at a time, like uh, on a sort of weekly blog post series has also helped focus the feedback. Like each week we'll get feedback just for the thing that we talked about just because it's like hot in terms of Twitter or the community and it's the focus. Um, and that's been super helpful. We've got, uh, generally it's been really positive. We have gotten a few concerns, uh, but you know, that's what we're gonna, we're using that feedback to sort of shape what tooling is built in the Terraform team to help with upgrades and, and where should we focus better error messages and things like ideally it's, it's everywhere, but in reality, you got to, focus on some stuff. So we're using that feedback to do that. I'm glad like we're taking feedback, even if it's negative or in, 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 in some cases it's positive, which is pretty awesome for us. Yeah. So before we dive into connect, uh, uh, Paul, I would like to ask you a few questions and kind of get, get to get a sense of your background and where you come from. So how did you get started in tech? Uh, how did you get into computer science? Is this something you were interested in high school or like, when did that transition happen for you? Um, it's a good question. I'm not really sure if I ever officially got into computer science, but here I am. So I, I actually, my degree is in music technology and sound engineering. And I, I only really got into kind of making websites because I had to make one for a band that I was sound engineering for at the time. And um, fast forward a few years, I realized the IT is better than the music industry in a lot of ways. And I kind of did a lot of web design stuff for a while. <laughs> and I guess just over years, just got more and more interested in the layers that were underneath what I was doing and uh, ended up kind of being quite deep in the infrastructure and just really loving networking and databases and um, yeah, kind of that, that low level stuff that really makes everything go. So that's, that's where I've ended up. It's funny, the more infrastructure people I talk to, a lot of people have the music connection. Like I used to produce music in high school and university and wanted to do a uh, a minor in music, but I never followed through because my mom wouldn't allow me to take uh, take music as like a minor. She's like, no, it would not look good on your degree when you put it up on 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 the wall. I was like, mom, come on, you can't say that. <laughs> That's great. So it's <laughs> so yeah. All the best music's in a minor key yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I think I hear you're like uh, if you watch Parks and Rec, I hear you have like a Duke Silver like identity somewhere, like some secret music producing identity no one knows about. <laughs> oh my god! But I'm I'm gonna be at like a jazz club or like probably not, probably like some some club, and I'm gonna be like, is that Mishra? <laughs> no, I, I I wish I would be into jazz, but I I was into progressive like progressive house music, uh, and that was like my my thing for a while. And yeah, I do have like a a name, uh, like an unknown, anonymous uh, DJ name that I produce with, uh, but no one will know that, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I played a lot of jazz in college, actually. I mean, I'm into Oh, really? It. That's me. <laughs> that's awesome. I wish I could get into jazz, but yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about, let's just switch and talk about networking. <laughs> so I did some research on you, Paul, and uh, when you were at Compose, you were working with like, we switched like Overlay Networks and and things like that. So could you tell us a bit more about your work in that area? Yeah, so so my my work in that area was was actually 
here's a like complicated production system running tens of thousands of databases for customers that are all built on open vSwitch and no one understands it. Help. <laughs> um, so I kind of had to learn a lot about networking and overlays kind of in a, in a relatively short time, but I actually got kind of really into it and enjoyed the challenge. And I guess, I guess formed a lot of ideas about both like how, how interesting it can be to like do very clever overlay networking, flipping packets around and, and also how much of a burden it is in production to have like no one on your engineering team really understand what's going on in this overlay network. And so any problem that comes up, everyone just goes, oh, it's, it's in the overlay network and, you know, black box, can't do anything about it. And that's actually really unempowering for, for organizations. So like there are pros and cons. You can do a lot of interesting stuff, but there's also a really high cost um, there. So I got interested in that whole space and um, it's fun to see how we can kind of enable some of the cool stuff that you can do in SDN, but um, kind of without the, the magic and the black box and the bit that no one understands in the middle using kind of basic protocols. Yeah, today, uh, you know, practitioners have so many choices when it comes to overlay networks. Like there's different, you know, they're using different technology. Uh, it basically, uh, you can choose between the things that you're familiar with and everything has to do with like something to do with the Linux kernel and you have to understand some bits there, uh, but people sometimes don't really think about those things and it, it does can be, it can be painful when you in the, in the long run, I feel. So that kind of, you know, kind of, it's like a good kind of segue and talking about like console connect and I'm, I'm sure the listeners are dying to, to kind of hear a little bit more about the, the, the ins and outs of connect. So what, so let's talk about like the design process. So could you explain to the listeners like what console connect is and how did you go about designing uh, connect? So Console Connect is service-to-service uh, -service, uh, authorization, basically, um, using mutual TLS. So, the, so in, in your service mesh, we, we want to be able to secure the access between the different services that are communicating in your data center. And once you have really dynamic workloads, you can't do that by just configuring firewalls manually. It doesn't work. And even if you kind of configure them with tooling, like you end up with like a multiplication, like for all the different instances, you kind of have this explosion in the number of rules you need and, and the rate at which they change when, when services are moving from host to host. So um, Connect aims to, aims to solve that by just moving, moving like identity enforcement to the service level using um, TLS and certificates rather than kind of being at firewall IP level where you have to maintain these IP lists everywhere all the time. I, the way I like to describe it too is like really basically it's sort of like think of any side project like you've ever started like fun little website it's like if you ever connected like even the, the web server to the database or just if you did microservices and then two services it's like you probably didn't encrypt that I know I didn't encrypt that like you're just trying to like launch a side project right like you just get it going but like it should be encrypted, right? Like, if, if it was easy, I would do it. And the whole point of Connect is to make that the default, to make that easy. So, like, how do you make it so that I launch these two different things that need to talk to each other? I just feel like I'm just connecting over an unencrypted connection because that's what's easiest for me as a developer. And the complexity is console in the background and Connect and making that all encrypted for me. Uh, and that's, that's how I like to view it from, from that user-centric point of view. 
Yeah, and just to be clear, like is Connect a separate, uh, like a separate product, or like it's it's part, it's a feature in console, right? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a major feature, and it kind of rounds out the the story for using console as a service mesh. We already did the discovery part. We already did kind of distributed configuration and being able to watch things, and it kind of it kind of solves the problem of actually like securing the connections between the two as well. Cool. Uh, so could you kind of give some insight to like? You know some some of the like the early design process and like how how did we approach like you know solving problem because I know like console's been solving the service discovery and config you know config uh, uh, the config storage problem for a while at like really large scale uh, so I think bringing in yet another like you know feature it could it could be it could be difficult it could be challenging so what were like the design challenges that you foresaw like in terms of like implementing it at a scale that console was already kind of used to basically. Yeah, well, I think kind of for a bit of history, the the original motivation for what is now Connect was was much, came from customers and it came from users who had very complicated infrastructure, lots of legacy stuff around. Maybe they were doing kind of public cloud, kind of cloud natively things, but that certainly wasn't the bulk of it. They had old systems, they had kind of monolithic apps, even even. Um, kind of hardware and mainframes and things in their, in their data centers that all needed to connect. And the problem that they had with their infrastructure that we kind of didn't have a solution for was like, how do we secure all of this stuff? How do we um, keep up with the changes and kind of enforce the network policy that we know we want, but, but how do we map that to these tens of thousands of IP tables rules across all these hosts? It's, it was a nightmare. And so that was kind of the... the problem definition that like Armon and Mitchell were thinking about. And like it quickly became obvious that like even if you kind of automate some of that and do it programmatically, you still have this kind of explosion in the number of rules when everything's tied to network addresses. And so that's kind of where the identity-based um, security idea came from. And then that that was just a really good fit with the control plane that we had already built. And so the, so the nice thing about console is that it's this, uh, it's got all the bits you need for kind of a data center control plane, if you like. It's got health checking built in. It scales to huge clusters because of the combination of like a uh, eventually consistent gossip pool along with the strongly consistent central state. So like there's, there's a lot of moving parts in there that are perfect for and, and blocking queries, so you can kind of watch for real-time updates at scale through this class. So it's got all the all the bits we need for kind of building a data center control plane. So the question was like, how do we how do we use that to like solve this security and access problem? And um, and like mutual TLS was was kind of the, the obvious and the simplest answer we could come up with. We could have we could have built a new software defined networking thing, but who knows? Maybe we will one day. But like. Mutual TLS was like the, the obvious thing to do first, right? And um, that's kind of that's kind of where it came from. Um, in terms of design process, I think once once that was nailed down, it it took several people kind of quite a while thinking about the problem in a general way. And then when we sort of had a good idea about the scope and what we kind of wanted to build, um, we we wrote a lot of a lot of design. I think we spent like two or three weeks up front just writing RFCs. That's, that's kind of a a bit of a joke about how... how yeah, and I, I want to say like, 
something people may not know is that, like, even when it was just Armand and I, like, for years, like, our major new product features and new products in general, like, they, we are a very heavy design specification oriented company, like, at the risk of, like, it, it, at the risk of like we lean further towards like a military contractor than like a agile startup right like I think some people have laughed that's like this is kind of waterfallish and it is like in a sense we try to make them smaller so it's not like that but with new products it's definitely kind of like that um, we like to like I think I think we wrote Paul could correct me if I'm wrong but I think prior to any code being written for connect we had written at least at least 40 to 50 Google Docs pages of internal design of how it would work and it's and the whole point of that is kind of like rubber ducking right in a sense it's like by forcing you to talk through it you like realize like oh but what about this and other people think that too and especially on a team it puts people on the same page and i think that you know the the key is to make those smaller so that you, you're not waterfalling an entire product at a time uh but but when we first started connect that's kind of how it went yeah, so I think that was broken out across maybe 10 or 12 different like RFC documents. And, yeah, that uh, sounds right. Higher level documents. So so each one was relatively focused, but it, it drilled into a lot of detail, especially the initial design ones where we were kind of, we kind of really had to understand things. I think the first one, well, a couple of the first ones we wrote, one of them was like, what exactly what is the, one of our TLS certificates going to look like? And like, the reason that's a really important thing to nail first is because I think mm-hmm. you just kind of, all have this fuzzy idea that yeah sure our service is going to have a a certificate but you've not really thought about exactly like what's in an identity and what like then it you just can get a long way through talking about kind of system level architecture things and 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 not kind of be on the same page about exactly how it's going to work so um i think that process was was I actually find it very really fun. It's, it's a perfect match for me. I love to write verbose documents about things, but uh. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. Obviously, like my my I, no promises, but like my like dream one day is that we'll just take all the RFCs, good and bad, and like terrible ideas and like decent ideas, and just bind them together in a giant book and be like, this was ten years of HashiCorp engineering and all the mistakes we made, but like here it is in its raw form. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, that would be a bestseller. My my wife jokes that I found the perfect job because like I I can't write an email response to someone without sitting there for half an hour like typing. <laughs> so she's she's like, it's great. Oh my god, people like it. Do you do you ever think about like the consumer? So I'm I do not have the patience that you you all have. Like I I remember reading one of the RFCs. And yeah, I gave up. I gave up halfway through, to be honest. Like, I was like, this is yeah. way too much to read for like 9 a.m. Yeah, I, I do. I do think the consumer, I write it all and then I go, I'm really glad I don't have to read this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think there is an expect- expectation that there's there's generally very few people that read the whole thing. And that's okay. Like, what's more important is that like the knowledge was recorded and that you worked through it. Um, the rare cases where I think people do read a lot of it is when you get like a new team member that's diving into a subsystem and it's really boring and really dry but like it's just more I don't know it's more contextually accurate than if I were to like explain why we did something in connect today like I forgot a lot of the context so um so yeah it's 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 like an encyclopedia you don't you don't read it you know cover to cover (laughs) I think yeah 
I think the other thing is we, we have kind of quite a set format for how we write. Or like there are at least several elements that are, are fairly yeah. like set that brings a lot of benefits. And one of those is that like we the first page or two is like high level problem statement, the background of why we're even solving the thing and why it's the right thing to do now and and previous attempts and that kind of stuff. And then and then like just a really high level, this is the proposal, this is how it's gonna work. And then the next very next thing we do is is talk about the UX. Like what's it gonna look like in the CLI? What's the config gonna look like? So actually like for most people it's those first sections that you want to read. And that's gonna that's gonna tell you what this product's gonna do and what it's gonna feel yeah. like. And and like that's where the feedback's from. And then it's only like for like the kind of team who are really in the weeds on the details that really need to read through the other ten pages of like this is exactly the you know, the algorithm we need to use or, or, you know, the data model concerns, how we're going to work out the API issues, all that sort of stuff. All right. I think we should jump back. <laughs> uh, uh, so, like, I w- I've been playing around with Connect, you know, both Nick and I have been kind of playing around with it. We've been trying to use it for, like, things like Lambda functions and, and, and things. And, you know, th- these are all teasers. Hopefully something comes out soon. Uh, we'll do an official kind of blog post or something. But uh, what was interesting for me is like the, the focus of Connect, which is I think unlike you know, other solutions uh, that are out there right now, is like right now is on layer four. And then I, I know we will extend the, the functionality to layer seven. So why did we, like my question was like, why did we start with like layer four? Why did we focus on layer four? So like connections and, and layer four, like security and things like that. Yeah, so that really came out of that, that history I mentioned where we were kind of looking to solve the problem of like people find managing their files difficult in this very dynamic environment. And so, so layer four made a ton of sense because like what people actually were coming to us saying is we want a way to like secure the traffic between all these different things. And the things were all using TCP, right? Um, what was, what was like less the case that you might imagine now if you're talking about service meshes that people are coming and saying we've got like a hundred grpc microservices in our kubernetes cluster can you can you figure out how to secure them so like the reason we started at layer four is because that was just what is going to work everywhere it's completely it kind of covers pretty much every use case people have and then kind of having built out this control plane and this like layer four proxying and and other things that we built which was kind of for just to make it easier to adopt without having to build TLS into your own application. Um, we kind of realized, well, we, we, we have all the moving parts there to have a really great kind of service mesh, higher level um, story as well. And so that's kind of where that's come from. But that's why it's like layer four first and at the core. And then the other stuff is kind of going to be layers on top. And Mitchell touched on this slightly slightly earlier, but to be honest, one of the great features of running at L4 is that you can TLS enable a database with zero effort. And and that's that's not a trivial thing to do anyway. Yeah, and I think I think that was what I was gonna say was that like I think from the startups or from the, the open source side, what a lot of people don't realize about HashCorp, it's like it's a nice secret that we have, I guess, in a way, is that we are like an enterprise software vendor, right? Like our paying customers are global 2000 companies. And so like we have this one like perception and and thing we care deeply about, which is the open source community, which generally it's like a Venn diagram, right? Like there's a huge non-overlapping world that is startups and individuals and hobbyists. And we love those people, but the people that are funding us are actually this like 
old, like slow moving, heavily legacy burdened like set of companies. And so layer seven first wasn't really even an option because like on on one side, like HTTP and gRPC everywhere seems obvious. But on the other side, HTTP even is like pretty pretty not common as an, a service connect, connection, like a service protocol. And so like you have to support layer four as the least common denominator. And it's sort of like how we chose DNS for console, right? Like you got to find these lowest common denominators that exist to enable large scale usage. And that's kind of what we start with. And so we totally plan on heading into layer seven and doing some more stuff there. Um, but layer four as a foundation was critical. So I was going through like the certificate uh, signing and like the certificate uh, identity section. And I found that it uses, uh, you know, Connect uses spiffy IDs uh, to kind of, you know, uh, delegate identity to these, to these uh, you know, entities. These might be, you know, servers or nodes or processes that are just running in the mesh. So could you tell us more about uh, why we chose spiffy and, and what spiffy even is? So spiffy is, is a new standard for service-based identity uh, management. Um, I, I can't off the top of my head remember exactly what it stands for, but it's... Uh... <laughs> so just for, for the listeners, Spiffy stands for Secure Production Identity Framework for Everyone. And, and I didn't go to the web page or anything for that. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's actually it came out of, developed alongside the Istio project. And so Istio's TLS certificates also use the same Spiffy format. And then, so, but Spiffy span out and is, is kind of a, a separate standard that's being shepherded by a startup and a, a bunch of corporate sponsors. But, and Spiffy itself describes like the way you describe identities within certain documents. For now, it's just X509, but they're going to add Jot and a bunch of others as well. And then um, they have another part, which is called Spire, that Spiffy runtime environment, which is all about like how you actually deal with, um, identity and like for now that's not part of the thing that we're integrating with because we're we're kind of relying on consoles existing ACLs and vaults existing um kind of tie-ins with with cloud platform and identity but the spiffy certificate format itself was a bit of a no-brainer because it's already a standard that's out there it's already been used by istio and a bunch of other tools um, and we, we, you know, if we'd come up with our own, it would have only been arbitrarily different. Like there was no real, like technical reason not to use the one that was out there. So, uh, so you know, after we were done this like really tedious design process with Connect, like I think it was around twelve weeks that it took from like idea to to building Connect. And I know I've played with it, and it looks pretty impressive. Uh, could you tell us more about like what's in the future and what are like the current like features that people uh, can try today and what features they can expect in um, you know going GA let's say? Sure. So so our um, kind of announcement and our beta release, uh, I guess just over a month ago, was was kind of like the core feature set of like automated certificate management. We have an option to use Vault as an external CA already. We and we have a built-in proxy that you can use just to stand up and run, get things going kind of day one. The big, the big things that we um, are adding kind of right now, uh, are one of them is support for Envoy as a proxy as well, um, which is going to just enable more features that Envoy already has and, and is just going to, yeah, 
be able to benefit from like the performance and all the other things that Envoy already has. So that's hopefully going to come out before GA. Then uh, we're also working a bunch on integrations with Kubernetes and just really kind of making the workflow of getting Connect up and running and secure much better. How we consoles Ackles need a bit of love to make that happen. So there's a bunch of stuff there. And then for GA, there'll be um, a couple of enterprise features too. So multi-data center support can maybe automate the certificate rotations and management across all of your different data centers. Um, I forget. Is that, is that all we have, Mitchell, for, for one three? I mean, I think the big ones are the CA and Envoy. Oh, yeah. Things like what you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are huge features. Yeah, so, so that's, that's hopefully going to be later in the year for our kind of announcement for that. And then, and then we have a really long list of things we want to do with this going, you know, stretching to the end of the year and into next year. So um, a lot more Layer 7 support especially once we've got Envoy in there. Um, and and just more kind of robustness in the enterprise world. So like things like audit logging, things like um, gathering telemetry and exposing insights about who's talking to who and uh, what the security of your systems, how it's doing. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff once we've got the big moving parts. In. It sounds really cool. And I'm, I'm very sort of much looking forward to playing with the the new features, so hopefully we get a chance to play with those before the uh, the GA. But um, Mitchell, I'm just wondering. So you, you get out and about, obviously talking with with a lot of our customers and and, and various people out in um, not just in the industry, but but companies who are building technology. Have you um, got any feedback on on companies using Connect yet? Yes, there's there's. So I would say like the production rollouts are pretty limited at this point, but there's quite a lot of uh, interest in people starting to, to test this out. And I think one of the, I, I mentioned it in like one sentence in the, the Connect announcement, but it's like, it's one of the coolest and scariest things about Connect being built into console is that, you know, like our most recent uh, like figure that we get from publicly connected console instances, this is, this is ignoring a huge number of console instances, but uh, is that there was like over 5 million uh, phone homes by console agents. So there's like a huge existing install base out there. We work directly with a lot of customers that themselves have huge clusters that aren't connected to the internet, so aren't part of that number. Um, and, you know, Connect did have core changes that affect console. And so like, you know, the, the fact that that deployed pretty successfully is really important, first of all, because even if they're not using Connect, they're validating a lot of the Connect architecture. Um, but for those, for the people that are planning on using Connect, it's also almost instantly at a fairly large scale, which is frightening. It's like, usually you release something new, especially like our background, like you'd release something new and you just slowly get larger and larger adoption if you're successful and that's what you want. Uh, but given consoles pre-existing nature, it's sort of like the companies that want to turn it on aren't just adopting console. They're like, yeah, we already have console and, you know, dozens of data centers with thousands of, you know, nodes per data center. And we just want to flip it on. And it's sort of that sort of is the, the fear and the uh, struggle that we're working with right now to make sure that that will work and, and why this testing process is, is happening and why it's not in production yet. Um, but I mean, I think a, a really cool aspect of that is, you know, there's 
there's sort of a lot of service mesh solutions out there today, but we get to go into these large deployments just on you know day one, basically, uh, and that's that's a benefit I'm super thankful for. Um, but but we got to do it right. And I'm pretty excited to, to kind of hear those use cases as well. And and I guess we'll start hearing some stuff maybe in blog posts and things, but but certainly by hashy days next year, we'll probably have some some great talks from from people, which is just going to be neat. Yeah. You touched on Kubernetes. Yep. Now, there's a there's a plan for for Kubernetes and Connect, and yeah, the the, the plan is to have a, a native integration. Can you can you tell us a little how how that's going to work? How is Connect and Kubernetes going to work in harmony? Yeah, and I, I would take it back a level. Like it's it's console and Kubernetes, and Connect is one big part of that. But it's console and Kubernetes, um, and also some of our other products. But get, but given we're talking about Connect, we'll focus on console. Um, but yeah, I think one of the big sort of, I mean, I think there's two big opportunities, which is that, you know, when you're using Kubernetes just on its own exclusively, there's a lot of features that we could enable for you that are really valuable. Like we're going to make connect with Kubernetes basically automatic, like any, um, anything you deploy, any pods that get started can automatically have their connections encrypted and authorized and so on. So that's super, super powerful. There'll be no, there'll be little to no work to basically make that a reality. Um, the second use case, so that that's more of the like, you know, the exclusive Kubernetes user is more of like that open source startup user and we wanna make that really great. And the other use case is more of the bigger company type use case where they're definitely adopting Kubernetes, but they have a ton of other applications as well. They have external services like databases, as you mentioned, but they also have stuff running on bare cloud VMs, but they also have on-premise data centers. And one of the challenges they're having is uh, encrypted, not even encrypted, just like network connections between all these things, but also how do you secure those? How do you authorize those? And so for them, we're working on a bunch of functionality to make it easier, and this will help everyone, but to make it easier for console agents to join servers that are running in Kubernetes or um, console agents to be able to discover and communicate with kube services. Um, likewise, like if you're using Kubernetes, you know, the kube service discovery is built in, it's there, it has a lot of features and you don't want to have to use consoles DNS or anything because you want to use um, the, you know, variables you get in your YAML resources and things like that to be able to reference all this stuff. Um, and so we're planning features to automatically sync like consoles catalog to kube's services catalog. And so you'll be able to just like talk to external services as if they were like indistinguishable from if they were running in Kubernetes. Um, and we're just gonna make this all automatic. And that's sort of the benefit you get um, from software like console, which is specifically, you know, not tied to any platform. We run on physical data centers, we run in the cloud and we're gonna make it run, you know, as natively as possible in Kubernetes and you get all that across all these things. And I think that's the, the real power. And I guess that also answers my next question as well, which is why, why run con a console on Kubernetes when you've already got etcd? But I guess the benefit yeah. is that console extends beyond the Kubernetes cluster, far, far beyond. Yeah, and I, 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 that's a really common question. And I think it's, if you view console as just a KV store, it's, it's an obvious like question, but like I, the uses, use cases I'm talking about like aren't KV at all. Like actually none of them that I mentioned use KV directly in any way. So it's the non-KV features. And so the way I like to describe it to, to Kube users is that 
you know, etcd is a core component of Kubernetes. Like it's just sort of part of the foundation of that software. Like we're building and, and Kube users always like to say, right? Like Kubernetes is the new Linux, it's the platform. It's like this underlying thing that you use. And that's exactly what we're looking at it as. It's like console is an application on top of that platform that's enabling a lot of other things, but we're not trying to replace any core components um, that make up that system. We're not writing, you know, a new like uh, scheduler or anything like that. Like it's higher level functionality that's benefiting the user. That's cool. Now, I mean, I, I speak to a few people when I'm out, out and about and people seem to be genuinely surprised that we, we do so much work with, with Kubernetes. However, it shouldn't really be surprising. I mean, after all, one of the sort of the concepts in the Tao is is workflows, not technologies. Could you talk to us about what the future holds with with further integrations um, between HashiCorp products and uh, Kubernetes? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's Tao elements to be sure, and I'll just make it a little less uh, lofty, I guess, in the sense that like just directly, like we have, you know, four to seven different like directions that our open source projects go that live in totally different categories, right? Like vaults and security, consoles in this service mesh networking type space, Terraforms and infrastructure as code. Like there's, they're totally different categories. And if we took the stance that we can't integrate with anything that could potentially compete with any of those, like it, it would be really immature for one, but it would be terrible for the business for sure. And so one of the points we make is that, you know, we, we don't like view competition really across product lines. And so like, yeah, like if you're looking at Nomad, then you're probably looking at Kubernetes as well or vice versa. Like it, it could be an either or, it could be both. Um, but then, you know, if you're looking at Vault, it's not an either or, right? So like we're, we, Vault integrates fantastically with Nomad. Um, we're gonna integrate Vault fantastically with Kubernetes as well. And all our engineers are aligned with that. Um, our sales is aligned with that. Like when we go into customers, you don't have to adopt our other tools at all. Like most, of, and, and it's very common for us actually to go into to customers that think they want one thing and we actually give them the other thing because we'll go in and be like, oh, we really need console. And it turns out what they really need is vault. And so we'll like get that going um, because they already have a solution in place that we don't need to replace. It's like good enough. And so I think it's, I would, I would actually, so there's Tau elements, like you said, like workflows, not technologies, but it's also, I think there's another document we have, which is like the principles. And I think it's more about, you know, you know, working with integrity and working with honesty is like our, our job isn't, we need to be a successful company, but our job isn't to like, you know, pillage and extract as much money as possible. It like, our job is to build good technology and enable companies and be successful in the process. Um, and so like, how do you balance all that stuff? I think that's really, really nice, and and certainly when I used HashiCorp tools as a um, in production rather than than working for the for the company, it was one of the things that I like. I, I did enjoy working with the tools. They just work across the board, no matter where you are and what you're doing, which is really nice. Now, we're um, we're at the end of the serious questions, so we have our somewhat tr traditional. Oh my God. Yeah, you love this one, Mishra. We've got one last and slightly less serious question for you both. And I'm gonna throw this to Paul first. Now, Paul, if you were a flavor of ice cream, which flavor of ice cream would you be and why? Well, I, I thought about this one long and hard. Uh, 
<laughs> and by preparation. And I think it's going to have to be salted caramel. Interesting. Why, why, why? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to scrape around for, for a why now, but, but it's great ice cream and uh, it's a great combination of salty and sweet, right? Oh, oh. damn. I don't know, Paul. You haven't come off as very salty to me, but I, I accept that. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mitchell? Uh, I also <laughs> thought about this. We got to see in advance. So I've been thinking about this a little bit, but I would have to say it's uh, probably like cookie dough ice cream. Like it's mostly vanilla. Like I'm mostly just like a what you would expect a boring type of person. But like inside there there's these little like concentrated surprising <laughs> nuggets and i think that's how i would describe myself it's like you, you on the surface it's like oh that guy's just he's a normal normal guy a boring normal guy and then it's like wait he's like way knows way too much about this one thing or he's like way too fanatical about teslas or something weird is going on in there and so like that that's me <laughs> i think we all appreciate your surprising nuggets <laughs> I want to um, I want to thank you both for for taking the time to to join us today and and hopefully for sharing some interesting information with with our listeners and and I hope everybody's excited as as we are about Console Connect and and get out there and give the the sort of the beta a try today and and most importantly give us some feedback let us know what you think and um, if there are anything that that's missing that that's really really useful to us so thank you thank you both thanks it was fun. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to HashiCast with your hosts, Nick and Mishra. Today's guests have been Mitchell Hashimoto and Paul Banks from HashiCorp. Be sure to tune in next time.